Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Hey, First Assembly, Frank Damasio here. I certainly enjoyed my time at the church recently. Of course, a lot has changed since I was there around the world. But I want to, first of all, say hello to everybody that's listening to me, wherever you're listening. And I want to greet Heather and Ben, the pastors. And I just want to say, I think you're doing a fantastic job. I think, uh, Ben, your leadership and everything I've seen that's come through the web and around, uh, you're very articulate, uh, you're very strategic, and I believe you're wise. And so it's a pleasure for me to pour into your church because I'm pouring into such great leadership. Uh, First Assembly, you're an amazing congregation. Uh, You have a lot of faith. You have a lot of history. You have a lot of roots. So when the winds blow, the trees not move because you have such deep roots. And I appreciate your spirit of faith and your spirit of vision. You've been doing a series on Back to the Basics. And this series has to do with the book of Acts. And I'm going to do a message that I'm going to put right into your lap in a few moments on the uh, Back to the Basics Uh, in the book of Acts. And I'm going to deal with spiritual struggles against spiritual networks, meaning that part of the basics that we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, 16, and 19, all three of these chapters refer to the spiritual conflict within the time that they were preaching the gospel. There were struggles in the spiritual conflict. There were demonic problems There were warfares going on in the heavenlies. And this is not some kind of a make-believe sci-fi movie. This is what the book of Acts experienced. They had to come against those things that are not flesh and blood. These are spiritual powers. And we're going to be talking about Ephesians 6 and the principalities and powers in heavenly places and the networks of spiritual powers that we're fighting against. Great to be with you, and I can't wait to give you the word. I'm going to uh, lay out a word today that has to do with every person that's listening to me. And it's found, you don't have to even have a Bible to turn there unless you want to take notes if you want to. My style is obviously to give some material and some points and some exegesis. And and so I'm still going to feed you the word of God today. But we're going to talk about the believer's struggle against organized spiritual networks. Let us be clear And let us have a biblical viewpoint on what's going on around us, not just now, but in our lifetime, we are in a struggle against spiritual wickedness in high places. I think sometimes we forget because of the struggle, we start thinking it's political, it's legal, it's societal. It's social, it's cultural, it's, it's all these different opinions and philosophies. And, and you can get so caught up with uh, disagreeing with one another and disagreeing with people and the governments and the leaders and what's going on around us that we actually forget that this battle is not on a human plane. We might struggle with culture and struggle with people, but let it be clear, our struggle is not the people and our struggle is not the culture. There's something more for you and me to realize, and that's how we move into this word today to put it right into your spirit. We have an enemy. 
Now, the Bible is very clear about our enemies. We have the world, and I'm talking about the world system that's influenced by evil powers and wrong philosophies, and there's a world system that we should not be, uh, uh, that system should not transform or shape us. It's a world system. We're called out of that world system. We're still in the world, but we're not in that world system. We're also battling with our flesh, our endemic flesh, the, the habits and the tendencies towards selfishness and the things that drive us that are wrong habits. So we, we know, and, and maybe uh, most of us would, would not have a problem knowing that, okay, I gotta resist the world's system and the world's philosophies and the world's ideas because we're not of this world, but we live in this world. We gotta resist our own fleshly tendencies toward anger and other things that we push out of our life. And we also have to have a resistance against the devil. And so our struggle is not against human flesh. It's against principalities and powers and wickedness and high places. And I want to deal with that for a little bit. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13 is the text that I'm using. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul says a final word. Now, he's wrapping up this book of Ephesians. And as he deals with this uh, powerful group of people, he says, I have a final word for you. I've dealt with other doctrines and things, but I have a final word for you. And his word is Ephesians 6 verse 10, be strong. And so he, he commands us. He says, I want you to be strong. It's not an option. It's a command. I want you to be strong. And then he says, in the Lord. So there's a focus here. You have to have a focus to be in the Lord. You're not in your particular city. You're not in your particular state. You're not in your particular country, even though we actually physically are, but we are in Christ and everything we have is in the Lord. And he says, and in his mighty power. So it's not my strength. It's not my power. It's not how I can muscle my way through dark times and hard times. He says, listen, this is the final word I have for you. I want you to be strong, but I want you to be strong in the Lord. And I want you to be strong in the power of his might, not your might, not your, your idea of how you're gonna get through whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, even in this world. Then he says, which is very familiar to a lot of people, but he says, put on all of the armor that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies. I want you to listen to this translation against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting, and, and this is my word for us as people as we face circumstances, again, not only in this season, but beyond this season. He says, we are not fighting flesh and blood. As soon as you begin to fight flesh and blood and, and you begin to fight the, the strategies of men and you begin to have a problem with everything going on around you as if it's all flesh and blood. You're missing who the real enemy is. He said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities. And Paul says, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor 
So you will be able to resist the enemy. Now, this is not Frank DeMonza coming to you with some kind of a philosophy or teaching that I found in a book somewhere. This is the Apostle Paul, and we're reading from his epistle to the Ephesian church, and he actually uses these words about the warfare. He says, you're not fighting flesh and blood. You are fighting evil rulers. But these evil rulers are not flesh and blood rulers. You're fighting authorities, but not human flesh and blood authorities. You're fighting against an unseen world. It's not what you see. It's the unseen world that's driving the seen world. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to bring to us so that we would have what is called nowadays a worldview. A worldview is what every believer needs to have in order to face everything that would come against you during your entire lifetime. But a worldview, this is one basic assumption. It's, it's yours and mine. I have basic assumptions about reality. Worldview is about reality, what I think is reality. It has to do with my own personal uh, group collective, which would mean my city, my state, my country, what I have been raised in, and I think that is reality. There are two realities. There's a reality as God has made and sees it, that the reality that I should be moving into. And then there's also that reality that I have been under in my world, in my family, in my education, and I begin to have a worldview based on what I have experienced in my life. And so if I've experienced certain things in my life, certain freedoms, certain bondages, certain experiences, even certain uh, experiences to do with that state or country and the government and the military and, and poverty and prosperity and everything else, uh, you begin to have a worldview. I remember the very first time I traveled, and uh, I was a young man, and I traveled to the uh, island of Jamaica. And there in Jamaica, I spent three months traveling through all the different villages and towns and preaching the gospel to these people. And that was the first time I began to adjust my thinking because the gospel that I was preaching was Americanized. The gospel I was preaching had somewhat of a uh, context and a culture that I had lived in. And so when I talk about giving, I talk about sacrifice, I talk about serving, I talk about freedom. They had not experienced many of the things I was talking about. So I began to understand their worldview, the lens by which they saw life was different than my lens. Now, for you and I, the lens that we need to be using is called a biblical worldview, not just a Jamaica worldview, a German worldview, a Portuguese worldview, Brazilian or Mexican or whatever race you might be. The, the worldview that we're interested in is first a biblical worldview, which is your glasses, that's the lenses, and then you live that worldview out in Mexico, in Brazil, in Germany, in Jamaica, wherever you might be. But that begins to shape what we call the worldview. The biblical, the biblical worldview about just the one little doctrine I'm talking about in this particular message is the invisible world, the invisible world of angels, spirits, demons, and those things that exist in other countries outside of the Western mindset, the Western worldview, most countries, not most, but many other countries outside of us, 
actually have a better worldview about the unseen world than the Westerners do because we don't really think in the terms of angels and demons and spirits and, and all affirmities and thickness has something to do with maybe uh, a spirit of like they would in Africa and other places that I have been to. I discovered that their worldview was much more spiritual than mine. They had a worldview that actually took in the unseen world. Everything had to do with the unseen world. Now in Paul's day, that was the way it was. In Paul's day, in the Roman Empire and the Greek mythology and the Greek doctrines and, and then finally the Christian doctrines, there was a lot of people who understood the worldview and that there was an invisible world. Bernie May, who was director of Wycliffe Bible Translations, which went to all the different uh, uh, countries and translated the Bible for people, he was one of the pioneers of writing about biblical worldview in other nations. I've enjoyed his writings very much, Wycliffe writings. He says, I need to learn as much as possible about spiritual warfare. Our struggle out there is not against the climate, the malaria, or false religions. Our struggle is against the principalities and powers against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. So he, he was teaching, even though he was not from, say, my theological mindset or experience as far as what I experienced in Bible College Seminary, etc. He's from a different evangelical mindset, but your mindset really gets messed with when you're actually in the reality of evil, the reality of demons, the reality of the unseen world. And so he writes and he says, we need to be careful that we understand that our war is against principalities and powers and this present darkness. Walter Wink, another great writer, said the early Christians perceived that every nation. Now, uh, could this be true? Could this be something that I have to wrestle with? The early Christians perceived that every nation, tribe, and tongue, every people group was presided over by a spiritual power. Now, it's been debated. People have written about it. We've talked about territorial spirits. We talk about nations who have different uh, bondages. And, and it's, it, there's a lot of books out there on both sides written about this. This particular man said the early Christians seemed to perceive that nations were ruled over by. And then he gives his uh, research and how he has found that to be his embracing of a worldview. The post-apostolic fathers took the realm of the demonic so serious that they automatically took new converts from paganism through rites of deliverance from evil supernaturalism. And so the early church fathers facing a worldview where there was rulers and principalities and powers and demons and spirits, and Jesus himself talks about the spirit of infirmity and he cast out spirits, and Jesus dealt with things to do with the devil and the devil's kingdom. He dealt with things to do with that other side, the invisible side of demons and spirits. And so the apostle Paul was not far from his theology, neither were the first century church fathers who wrote about this. Roman Catholicism says evil is not something, it is someone. The devil operates, as I see scripturally, within the limits that God has set for him. I'm not trying to elevate uh, the devil or the works of the devil or the power of the devil. I understand that in the cross and the blood of Jesus, as I get to, we have the victory over that, but I want to remind you 
that our battle is not flesh and blood. It's not political. It's not social. It's not cultural. It's not with someone's philosophy, someone you disagree with, and, and then you fight, and maybe uh, you march against something. Maybe you write against something. Uh, maybe you feel like uh, things are being pushed around, and we need to agree on. Well, there's a lot of things being pushed around right now in our nation and other nations of the world because there are principalities and powers and rulers and evil rulers of the darkness that are actually moving upon people's heart to bring out maybe more hate, more jealousy, more bitterness, more everything that will actually turn something into a physical war when the church should understand it's not a physical war, it's a war in the spiritual realm. And we have power in the spiritual realm. I really don't think I, I need to worry about my power in the political realm. You should vote. You should do the things you do. If you had a career in that, fantastic. I don't think I should worry about winning my philosophical argument with every person I talk with. I don't think that's the issue. But I do have a responsibility as a believer to understand that there is a war going on and that that war involves what Paul says in Ephesians 6, evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Now, when you look at the, the uh, spiritual network that we're talking about, the spiritual network that we're talking about has to do with three definite definitions uh, that Paul gives when he uses the words principalities, rulers, and spiritual powers. So he talks about realms. Principalities, most people believe that refers to fallen angels, and the power of a ruler in a specific territory. Prince, a ruler, that's what it means. And the topos, the area, the location of this ruler. In Daniel 10 and verse 13, you have one of those illustrations that you have to ponder, and either you try to uh, put your mind around it or you throw it out. But Daniel said, I've been praying for 21 days, but something resisted me, and my prayers had not been heard. And so on the 21st day of his praying, it says that Michael the archangel came to Daniel and Daniel said, my prayers were stopped by the prince of Persia, the prince of Persia being an evil ruling power of that area. And it says that Michael then uh, took authority over that prince and that power and released Daniel's prayers to heaven and things began to move. And that's where we get the idea that there can be uh, geographical, territorial assigned regions where uh, some evil powers can actually rule. I can remember again the very first time I went into a, a different country, different city outside the U.S. where I felt the evil. I felt different in that city. I could feel the evil. And talking to one of the, the ministers there, he would describe to me what he was feeling. And I was reminded about Genesis chapter 1, where it says, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the word darkness there is the word hoshek. And the word hoshek means a darkness you can feel, a darkness that is there. Moses said the darkness was so dark, it was so black that you could feel it. Moses talks about hoshek. And so I was reminded that in some places there's hoshek. There's darkness you can feel. There's, there's a darkness that comes upon that, that area and that region for many different reasons that could have brought the darkness into that region and it has to be somehow overcome by the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the word of God through the Holy Spirit. So principalities, uh, powers speak about 
the demonic issues that we face that actually harass people. Now it says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it says the God of this age blinds people's minds. Okay, that's a problem. It says in Ephesians 2, 2, that we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in other people. So there is a power that blinds the minds of people, a power that comes upon the hearts of people, an evil power that tries to keep, uh, keep people in their uh, particular uh, bondage, a stronghold in the mind or whatever it might be. It tries to keep them in a darkness so that they can't, cannot respond with the gospel. They can't respond to the Holy Spirit. And so our job is to break that off of people's mind and to do warfare in the heavenly realm, not the flesh and blood realm, and to bring people out of their bondage through intercessory prayer and calling on the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross. And we know that it says in John 12, 31, now the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world, which had been the devil, had been cast down. This is an interesting scripture. First John 5:19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so every one of us need to understand the wicked, evil principalities and powers and rulers, demonic powers, the evil darkness rules upon people's hearts and mind. And that the darkness that Jesus says, when I came, the people sat in great darkness. And so the gospel was preached so they could be taken out of their great darkness. And so we have a responsibility during our lifetime to understand there's a great darkness on people's mind, a great darkness on people's heart. It's not just philosophical. It's not just political. It's not social or cultural only. There's a spiritual blindness that comes upon people. And we, as the gospel presenters, have to break that off of people. I have to understand that the enemy has a strategy against my life and everybody that I love. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be well balanced, temperate, sober-minded. Be vigilant, cautious at all times. Why? For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion, roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Peter says, withstand him. Be firm in your faith against the onset, the root of the established strong. Be immovable against the enemy because he's going to come against you and try to deceive you. In Ephesians 6, 11, it says that we are to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's an, it's an old English word that's used in the Bible, but it gives you an idea of what you're up against when it says stand against the wild, W-I-L-E, as the wiles of the devil is the Greek word methodia. It means that the devil has a investigation and he has a method to investigate you and find out where your weaknesses are, where the entry points are, how he can bring you to defeat. He knows the history only by what you say and what you do. He had the demon take notes on you, and they actually do a methodia. They do a wild. They do a strategy against you. Wiles are also snares that he will use to 
snare you because he knows that you're prone to that snare in your history and your responses and the things you have done. He knows in 2 Timothy 2.26, it says, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare, the snare, the snare of the devil. I'm telling you right now, the enemy's will for you is to snare your mind, snare your heart, snare your emotions, push you into a pit, get you to be controversial beyond, get you to be angry, frustrated, discouraged, depressed, whatever it might be. I'm telling you right now, that's not just the culture we live in and that's not just the atmosphere around some of the people. That is an attack of the devil upon your soul and upon your life to bring you into bondage and to somehow make you a non-successful believer and to make you think that you cannot make a difference. You cannot do anything to change anything. Everything is just going to be the way it is. Our nation, other nations are just uh, going to go the way of all flesh. Maybe the coming of Christ is coming soon because everything is so out of control. I want you to know it is not out of control. We serve a sovereign God and sovereignty means he's in control. Sovereignty means God has a plan and a strategy. We're not following the devil's plan and the devil's strategy. We're following a God plan and a God strategy. Do not let the enemy come in and snare your mind and snare your emotions and snare your vocabulary so that you speak negative words. You get rid of that today and understand that the wiles of the devil. That's his methodia. There's another word used in 2 Corinthians 2.11 where he uses the word advantage. He says, in order that Satan might not take advantage of you. The word advantage is pleon kekto, but the word actually means it's someone who always wants more. When they get a little, they want more. It means to take the greater part, never be satisfied with the small part. It means to overreach and to always go beyond what you're supposed to be going with, and that's what the devil does. He takes advantage of you. If he gets in a little bit, he keeps reaching. He never stops reaching. He never stops pushing. He never stops his methods. He never stops trying to find an advantage so he can take more of your emotions, more of your thoughts, more of your life, more of your time. He is that enemy that comes in to take advantage of you. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11, it also says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. They have a definite thought against you to ponder at length because he has schemes that he's going to work against you. But we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of what the devil does. And we're going to be more than overcomers. We're going to be the people that actually come out of the darkness and help other people come out of the darkness. Okay. I want you, wherever you are, to say amen, and I want you to somehow shake your head yes, somehow say, you know what, this is good for me, this is good teaching for me, I think the devil has overreached me, I think the devil's taken advantage, I think his method about me investigating, he's caused me to see everything in a flesh and blood level, he's caused me to have a fight in my spirit, but it's the wrong kind of a fight, I need to understand really what the fight is about, is in the heavenly realm, and I need to get back to praying to a 
sovereign God and a God who has a plan for everything. And I trust that plan. And God is not nervous in heaven. The angels are not biting off their fingernails. They don't have fingernails, but they're not biting off their fingernails. They're not in worry. God is not worried. It's all going to come together and we're going to get through these things and other things. Why? Because God is a great God and he's building something great and he'll use even the darkest time to build some of the greatest revelations that's ever come into our life and to set us up for a spirit of revival that we can believe God in our place. Here's the enemy's specific strategy to take you down, ruin your life, spread you thin, get you to go the wrong direction, get you to fight the wrong fight. Here's some very practical, specific things the devil's going to try to do to hurt you. Number one, quickly snatching away the spiritual seeds sown into your heart through preaching, like I'm doing right now. I'm sowing seeds of faith. I'm sowing seeds of hope. I'm sowing seeds of the Bible. I'm sowing into you some seeds that you need to understand. These are good seeds, but the enemy will not let it rest. And as soon as you finish this particular online service, as soon as you finish listening to this preacher as you have with other preachers, as soon as you finish listening, sometimes it says the enemy will come in, Matthew 13 and verse 19, when anyone hears, now that's what you're doing right now, you're, you're hearing the word of the kingdom, and it says in Matthew 13, 19, and does not understand it, then the wicked one, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the, uh, the seed by the wayside. And so every time God speaks, every time we open the Bible, you have to understand you'll be quickened. You'll have a word. Something will happen. You listen to a preacher, a teacher. The word of God comes to you, but you have to understand the, the strategy of the devil is to quickly snatch away that word before it can settle deep into your heart. A word of faith, a word of vision, a word of hope, a word of healing, a word for miracles, a word whatever it might be. He wants to snatch it before it can bring any fruit into your life. Number two, he will quietly and persistently take away your spiritual rights and the spiritual ground God has given you and set up his own ownership over your life. He likes to take ground little by little. Ephesians 4.27, give no place to the devil. That's the word topas. That's the Greek word for uh, actual location in your life. Give no place to the devil, uh, a specific marked out area. That means you don't leave any door open. You close every window, every entry point, everything in your mind and your heart. I'm telling you right now, I'm encouraging you as a father in the Lord. Do not let the enemy snatch up the word from your heart and do not let the enemy somehow take ground from you. In 2 Samuel 23, 11, it said that Shammah stood there and he defended his hill. The enemy was coming against him, but it says he defended the hill and the Lord brought a great victory. Why? Because he took a stand and he would not let the enemy take his ground. I'm asking you today. I'm begging you today. I'm, I'm preaching to you today. Take a stand with your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your every part of your being. Take a stand. Do not let the enemy take away your spiritual rights. You have authority in Christ. You have a clear mind in Christ. You have a pure spirit in Christ. 
Remember, he comes to somehow set up a, a stronghold, but strongholds don't start with strongholds. They start with a foothold and then a heart hold, and finally it becomes a stronghold. Strongholds move into your life. Number three, he repeatedly uses the art of condemnation. This is his favorite weapon to shake our assurance, cripple our confidence, devastate our future, our hopes, and our dreams. Why? It says in Revelation 12, 9, he's the accuser of the brethren, the citron. He's the accuser of believers. He comes to always say, you are no good. You are trash. You're not going to make it. You're a hypocrite. You have no faith. You're not going to get through this. The darkness is going to overcome you. Everything is going to go wrong. I'm speaking into your life right now today. That is the accuser, and you are not going to let him use the art of condemnation to remove from you your confidence and your assurance. Number four, he tries to overwhelm our soul by a chain of unusual bad experiences, irritation, small calamities, so that we may destroy our faith and that he may gain control over us. And so he just tries to somehow uh, overwhelm us with one thing after another. It's financial, it's, it's social, it's in your marriage, in your children, it's this. And before you know it, you can't breathe, you have no space. I used to say to my, my prayer team, uh, I need space, I need air room, I need some air space. They knew exactly what I meant by air space. I felt suffocated by the work of the enemy and by the pushing of the darkness against my life. I needed some air space. I'm, I'm saying to you today, you need some air space. You need to kind of push back. You need to stand up. You need to take your ground again. You need to let that delivering power of Jesus come over your mind and your heart and your emotions. It says in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus to deliver all who were oppressed. That is, all who were pushed down by the devil. If you've been pushed down, my word to you today is that Jesus is here to lift you up. He's anointed to be the deliverer of oppressed people. All oppression, spirit, soul, and body, mind, will, emotions, all the oppression that come upon your life are going to move away from your life because we serve Jesus and Jesus is the victor. He had the victory. We're in him. We're in the cross. We're strong in the Lord. Number five, he comes to hinder the church as a corporate body, the congregation, from moving into spiritual blessings. How? By attacking key leaders, just by making them discouraged, by making them feel guilty, by making them lose ground. Don't you think leaders have battles also in their mind and atmosphere? And it could be financial, emotional in their marriage. And right now people are more secluded, so they might feel that more. And so what does he do? He creates a spirit of negativism. He creates and magnifies little problems and begins to make them giant mountains in front of these leaders. And then the devil starts telling them, you're not leading properly. You're not making good decisions. You're not carrying the people the way you should. You're not connecting to everybody. You're failing as a leader during the time. You're double-minded. The leader can be under attack right now, and uh, the people can actually be part of that attack by murmuring and criticizing and, and everybody taking this side and that side. I'm telling you right now, get rid of the work of the devil. Get rid of murmuring and criticism and taking sides and begin to support your leaders, support one another, get rid of a negative spirit, remove all the stumbling stones, and let God do a mighty work in the leadership team, in the pastors, and in the congregation. My last point, number six, 
he come to attack believers through what I call spiritual parasites. Parasites that are in the spiritual realm that attach themselves to our spiritual life, draining us of our strength, draining us of our virtue for an extended period of time. Now, maybe you, wherever you are, you've been drained. Maybe the parasites have come upon you and drained your vision, your faith, your energy, even your, your uh, desire to pray, your desire to share the gospel. And so then he comes and he beats on you and makes you feel guilty and beats you down and then begins to attack you. That's a parasite, one who derives advantage by sucking life out of you. And the parasites will come, the parasite of insecurity, the parasite of fear, the parasite of emotional blindness, the parasite of draining people that drain everything from you. Whenever you're around them or talk with them or text them or call them or email them, they, they drain you. The parasite of spiritual exhaustion and then satanic harassment. All these parasites come to drain us. Now I'm saying to you, our war is not flesh and blood. Our war is not in the other realms. Our war is in the spiritual realm first. So overcome that right now in your own convictions, your own heart, your own worldview, and let these scriptures be my ending encouragement to you. First John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, demolish the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to demolish the works of the devil. First John 4 and verse 4, it says, we have overcome him. And this is one of our great scriptures we go to all the time, is it not? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You have greatness inside of you. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You have prayer. All of heaven is cheering for you. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And every tongue that rises up will be put down. And 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not in the flesh. But we have divine power in the Holy Spirit to destroy all strongholds. My word to you today, you're more than a conqueror. You're more than an overcomer. You've got greatness inside of you. Jesus is for you. God is for you. All of heaven is cheering you on. All the witnesses of Hebrews chapter 12 are cheering you on. This is our time to shake off the dust and shake off the negative and shake off whatever might have come upon us because these are dark days and dark times, but we are the children of light and we have hope in the gospel and hope in a mighty God, a mighty Holy Spirit. And we're not going to give up our ground no matter what happens. Why? Because we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting in the spiritual realm. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for every person listening to this message. Lord, I pray that you will help them, bless them, strengthen them. Lord, I pray that you will somehow right now just shake the devil, the works of the devil, and the dust that is settled on their life, right off of their life. Lord, I pray that any parasites that have landed on them will be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray the spirit of oppression will be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that every person will rise up like Shammah and defend their ground and see a great victory, not only for themselves, but for everyone else around them. Lord, I bless these people today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.